you draw a blood sample, what you see under a microscope is all these red blood cells. They're little inner tubes, all looking red. But here and there, mixed with them, are white blood cells. They are there to defend you. And then your question is, is like a, a very good one. What the heck does food have to do with it? And so researchers have started to look at how fatty junk in the diet might affect the white blood cells' ability to work. Bottom line, white cells don't work so hot in an oil slick. Does garlic help? Does vitamin C help? Does zinc help? All of them get kind of a qualified possibly, but hopefully we'll be able to tease that apart in today's program. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 71 of season four, number 266 overall. Today, we are going to be talking about fighting off illness with food. How does your diet affect your immune system? What foods can give it a boost and what foods then roll out the red carpet for the common cold and flu? We are going to find out with Dr. Neil Barnard. He was kind enough to join me on the exam room live to talk all about this and take live questions from viewers, the exam roomies. Some good ones that came in. Other than vitamin C, which nutrients can boost the immune system? We also looked at popular high-fat fad diets such as keto and bulletproof. Do they affect your ability to fight off infection? And we also touched on the potentially beneficial effect that garlic has for keeping you healthy. And then, of course, we had to look at inflammation. How does that factor in to everything here? touched on that and a lot more. But before we dive into the immune system, I want to say thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for helping to raise our health IQs and making this episode of the Exam Room podcast possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Time now to find out which foods are the best for preventing the common cold and flu and how diets factor into the current pandemic. We're about to rev up our immune system as Dr. Neil Barnard joins me on The Exam Room Live. Dr. Barnard, are you ready to start fielding some of these questions? We have a lot of them already in the mailbag. That's great, Chuck. Let's get started. All right. Let's do this thing right away. Uh, my first question to you is this. Let me let me just be selfish and take the first one. How much does really your diet control your immune system's ability to fight off something like the cold or the flu? Well, we still have more unknowns than we have knowns, but we do have some tantalizing details. And, and, and maybe check, I wonder if it would help if I sort of describe what the heck the immune system is. <laughs> By all means. For some people, it's kind of a vague notion. Um, if you draw a blood sample and you look at your blood, what you see under a microscope is all these red blood cells. They're little inner tubes, all looking red. And their whole job is to carry oxygen to your body tissues. But here and there, mixed with them, are white blood cells. 
And their job is not to carry oxygen. They are the soldiers of the body. They are there to defend you. And what they're looking for is a virus or a bacterium that, that somehow got into you and it's, they're going to knock it out. They also look for things like cancer cells. They say, that's not right. We got to get rid of that too. And they have their own ways of getting rid of these invaders. A strong white blood cell can recognize a foreign invader, make antibodies, which are just protein torpedoes, if I can use that word, that will knock out that invader. And some of the white blood cells have the capacity to actually engulf the virus, swallow it whole, and tear it apart. Now, what if your white blood cells are just not very numerous? You don't have very many. You got a weak immune system. What if you've got them, but they're just not doing their job? What if you're taking a drug that's stopping them from, doing, from, from working? All of those things can contribute. And when we look at people who are susceptible to infections, because they don't have a good immune system, they are often people who have been intentionally immune suppressed. Why? Because they got a, a, a kidney transplant. And that kidney is from somebody else. And if you have a really vigorous immune system, it will reject your kidney or a heart transplant or other kinds of transplants. So they might be on immune suppressant drugs. Um, if a person has had HIV, this wily HIV virus disables the immune system. That's what made HIV a killer. Uh, it's an immunodeficiency virus. Um, and there are a number of medications that are for less life-threatening things. Um, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, even skin conditions. You'll see them advertised on TV. These are biologicals that work by subtly disabling your immune system so that your autoimmune arthritis feels better, but you're now vulnerable to all, all kinds of things. So Chuck, anyway, that's, that's what the immune system is for. And then your question is, is like a, a very good one. What the heck does food have to do with it? And so researchers have started to look at that. There are certain things that seem to in, in, impede our immune strength. Uh, fat is the classic example. Researchers have done a number of studies looking at how fatty junk in the diet might affect the white blood cells ability to work. Bottom line, white cells don't work so hot in an oil slick. Um, and then certain additions to the diet. Does garlic help? Does vitamin C help? Does zinc help? Um, all of these things have been under study. All of them get kind of a qualified possibly, but hopefully we'll be able to tease that apart in today's program. Yeah, I think that we will be able to. We're, we're going to get into some specific foods here in just a little bit, but I want to say hi to Janice, who's watching us in Canada. Tofu Tuesday, who's here with us on a Wednesday. Uh, Rick Snyder checking in from Southern Maryland. Rick, glad you're here, my friend. I've been enjoying your columns for years. Um, Dr. Barnard, my first question, though, comes to us today from Jamie, and Jamie wants to know about specific foods. Indeed, what are the best foods that can help to boost the immune system? I can tell you some of the things that have been suspects, uh, or that's not the right word, that's kind of a negative word, uh, whatever the positive version of a suspect is. Garlic is one that, that people have studied. Um, and not this, these studies were ongoing way before anybody ever heard of a coronavirus causing an infection. What the viruses that they were looking at then was, was not the SARS-CoV-2, it was the, the cold viruses. And there was a really interesting study done in the UK. They brought in a large group of people, 146 of them. Half of them got a garlic supplement. 
The other half got a pill that looked just like the garlic supplement, but it was a placebo. And then they asked everybody, you, you're taking our supplement, not knowing which one it is, and keeping track of your colds. How often do you get a cold? If you get it, write it down. And what they showed is that in the placebo group over the 12 week period that they, it was a big group, um, they racked up 65 colds in that group. But in the garlic group, it wasn't 65, it was down to 24. Okay, chalk went up for garlic. And then they looked at, are you so sick that you just can't go to work? Because you might have one cold, but it might knock you out for a week, or maybe it's just a passing thing. And the placebo group got 366 sick days, and the garlic group got 111. Okay, chalk up another one for garlic. So that's all good. Um, what's negative about this study? What I What is negative about the first thing that's negative is it was funded by kind of the garlic industry. There's a group that's always looking at not just garlic foods, but garlic extracts that you can sell for a fair amount of money. And whenever you have industry doing these research studies, what they sometimes are guilty of is what I call publication bias. Um, meaning if something worked out for them, they publish it. If it didn't, they pretend it never happened. The other thing I have to say is that anything people really like, whether it's chocolate, or alcohol or whatever it is, the studies tend to, to wax positive. Everyone wants to say they're good. Um, and again, it's, it's a kind of publication bias where people like good news about things are kind of hooked up. So I think garlic is gonna be number one um, because there are um, there, there is at least some, some evidence for it and other studies have gone in the same direction. Apart from that, I'm not gonna pick out a specific food because a diet rich in vegetables overall, fruits overall, beans, grains, plant-based diets have been associated with a much better response to a COVID infection. In other words, if COVID comes in, you got it. Your immune system is trying to fight back. If you have been on a plant-based diet, your likelihood of severe COVID is cut way down. And that's got to be because the diet is Boosting immunity? Is it a specific food? No, it's the diet overall. Jacqueline checking in from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hello, Jacqueline. And we also have Joel in Goodyear, Arizona. Thanks for watching us, my friend. Uh, let's flip the script. So we just talked about some foods, garlic specifically, that can help. But now let's look at the other side of the coin, Dr. Barnard. Take a question from Kelly. What foods then can actually weaken the immune system? Researchers have really been looking at, at fatty foods in general, and they've done this in, in a, a few different ways. You can feed people fatty meals. Um, come into the laboratory. Let's feed you either a lot of animal fat or even just sort of uh, a lot of fried foods, oily foods. And then you take a blood sample and you can, you can separate out the white cells. You can have them in culture. You can see how well they're able to knock out an invader. And, and not just a virus or a bacterium, you can test them with, say, a cancer cell. And can they engulf it and destroy it? And you can then go further. You can actually take blood cells themselves and administer fat directly into the cell culture uh, or the cell sample in different quantities and different types. And the results are pretty, uh, pretty consistent between these studies and, and some other really quite heroic studies where you bring in volunteers and you actually inject them intravenously with fatty lipid infusions. They all show about the same thing, which is that your white blood cells just 
as I say, don't work well in an oil slick. The fattier your diet, the harder time your white blood, cell, blood cells have to whether it's producing antibodies or uh, engulfing invaders. Fat, fat in general is, is a bad thing. The reason I emphasize that is a lot of people will think animal fat's bad. They are right. It is every bit as bad as you thought. But they're thinking, well, if it's olive oil, it's got to be better. That's true, too. It's always better than chicken fat. Um, but best of all is a really low-fat vegan diet without a lot of extra fat of any kind. Well, let's apply what it was that you were just saying here to some more popular diets like Bulletproof or Keto. Michael is wondering specifically then, could a high-fat, low-carb diet make you more susceptible to becoming sick? Yes. Uh, in fact, there was a stunning study that came out less than a month ago, and it was looking at... at um, healthcare workers who are following different kinds of diets. Um, and this is a study that showed substantial benefits from a plant-based diet. There was a, a similar study that came out almost the same time, uh, more than half a million participants who were simply tracking what they ate and tracking their COVID experience. Both of these suggested a plant-based diet was going to be good. However, people also looked at just what you were asking about, ketogenic diets, low-carb diets. These are the diets where people are avoiding an apple piece of bread, um, cookies. Some of these are healthy like apples and some not so healthy like cookies, but the groups on the low carbohydrate diets did decisively worse. They had about some, if I recall correctly, something like about a 40% increased risk of severe COVID infection. Makes perfect sense. If you're not eating carbohydrate, what are you eating? Meat, gravy, cheese, um, and your immune system hates those foods just as much as your coronary arteries do. And we we had an opportunity on a recent show to go back and, and dive into those studies in depth. Um, and that was one of the more popular shows that we've done in the last few months, well over 100,000 views. So if you have the opportunity, go onto the Physicians Committee's YouTube uh, channel and look for COVID-19 and plant-based diets. Watch that. And Dr. Barnard, you did a magnificent job going in depth, explaining those studies for everyone. So okay, thank, thank you. you for doing that. Can't recommend that show enough. Um, okay. Let's uh, talk about inflammation. This is a big one. You, you talk about inflammation and how beneficial a plant-based diet can be for that. So let's take a question from Dana at 1212. Can lowering inflammation help with the immune system? Yes, um, it can. But here again, inflammation is not entirely a bad thing. Um, inflammation is really your body's response to injury. So if you're responding appropriately to injury, that's good. If you are over-responding, you're doing too much, that's not good. I'll tell you what I mean. Um, a mosquito attacks you or a bee attacks you. What, what do they do? They sting you. Um, and some of their proteins get into your skin and, and your body detects it. Within just seconds, your body says, okay, invader alert, we got a problem. And you notice that your skin is turning red and it's kind of puffing up and swelling. That's not something that the mosquito or the bee did. That's something your body did. What's happening is the white blood cells recognize the invader. They release chemicals that cause your blood vessels to open up. That's why it looks red. Um, but what they're trying to do is to let the blood vessels open up so that your um, uh, ability to attack 
and clean up that junk that's, that has arrived in you can, can increase. So your blood vessels become leaky. These little chemical soldiers go into the interstitial spaces and clean up the junk and carry it away. That's why you're turning red, you're puffing up, it's swelling. That's a little battleground in your skin. Hopefully it doesn't spread. But there are times where foods we eat trigger this process. So it's not a bee sting, it's something on your plate. Cheese sandwich. The proteins that came out of a cow get into your body. Your body says, wait, there's a foreign invader here. It's not a bee sting, but it's a cow protein. Your body says that doesn't belong here. The inflammatory processes kick in and they're not just attacking one little spot in your skin. They're attacking your blood vessels, your brain. They're circulating in your bloodstream. Wherever your blood goes, they go. And this has really been a huge issue. Um, We've been looking at depression. Depression is not entirely bad childhood, lost your job, that kind of stuff. Yeah, those things contribute. Depression is partly physical. And inflammation affects the mood in a huge way, such that if you can tackle that excess inflammation, you can do better. Okay, come back to COVID. We learned as soon as, as COVID arrived that people who had a greater tendency toward excess inflammation did worse. They could not, they could not mount a selective response against the invading virus. And so that's part of why when a person is really sick and they're in the ICU, uh, one of the things you sometimes have to do is give them steroids. You're just disabling that immune over response. Um, you can also do the same thing with diet, but in a good way. Plant-based diets, anti-inflammatory. Animal-based diets, pro-inflammatory. So that's basically the thing. You want to shut down that excess inflammation. The diet will help you to do that. We've got a global audience today. Yofit checking us out in San Jose, California. But then we also have Abigail watching today from the Philippines and Kate, who's joining us from the UK. So hello, everybody. Thanks for being here. Um, Dr. Barnard, here's a really good question from Melissa Goddard. Comes to us at 12.09. Is a low white blood cell count common on a whole food plant-based diet? And would this be a concern then for getting the COVID vaccine? Uh, Is it common? Yes. Uh, very, very commonly when people have sort of high levels of inflammation, they on a, they're go on a healthier diet and your white blood cell soldiers say, I guess we don't need quite so many of us because we're, we're healthier now. So white blood cells will often diminish a bit. However, there are norms. If you look at your lab slip, there is a number that's too high and a number that's too low. And where you, with most of the blood indices, we we're often looking for things that are in the normal range, sometimes sort of toward the lower end of normal, but within the normal range. Um, Your doctor can look at your numbers and should look at your numbers and should interpret that for you because you want to be in the healthy range, obviously. All right, question from Ashley. Uh, I think turmeric has come up uh, once or twice already. Uh, What spices can help to boost the immune system? Uh, yeah, funny you mentioned turmeric. Uh, turmeric is one of these things that for millennia has been used for culinary reasons, partly for taste, partly for the color. And it's been used, it's also been used in clothing and, and lots of things. And somewhere along the line, uh, scientists got their hands on it and they decided to study it for its medicinal purposes. And there have been quite a number of studies on turmeric and it does seem to be anti-inflammatory. Um, That said, uh, I don't think it's going to put pharmaceutical anti-inflammatories out of business because its effects are, for most people, mild. 
The second thing is, um, I think it's useful to remember that publication bias can also rear its head here too. In other words, people want to cheerlead for term work. So they publish studies showing it works. And if a study doesn't show it, then they don't publish it. Um, so I think there is a publication bias there for turmeric and other spices too. But all in all, I'm persuaded by the good quality of a number of these studies showing that there is an anti-inflammatory effect. It's also been studied for lots of other things. Probably the other notable one is ginger. Um, and it's been used not so much for infections, but for things like rheumatoid arthritis um, and other autoimmune diseases. Um, some effectiveness, not, not earth shattering, but you'll see it. Danielle, follow up here. Other than vitamin C, what nutrients are good for revving up the old immune system? Uh, well, maybe, maybe we, let's take a minute on vitamin C. Uh, very controversial, Linus Pauling, uh, two Nobel Prizes. Um, he was uh, really a huge advocate for vitamin C. And you don't need much um, vitamin C in your diet, but he was so enthusiastic at the time he finally died, he was taking about 18 grams a day. Don't try this at home, it's huge. Um, his point was that if cold viruses are around, you're not gonna get as sick, maybe not sick at all, if you've been taking vitamin C. And he says, take it as a supplement because the amount in an orange or green vegetables, not so huge. Um, does it work? Uh, definite maybe there, there was a good study that looked at rather modest supplementation about 200 milligrams of vitamin C. And for context, if you go to the pharmacy and you look at the pills they sell, they'll be about 500 milligrams, sometimes a thousand. This was just 200. And it was only four weeks, a four week study. And, but it was in older folks who were subject to bronchopneumonia, meaning um, lung infections. And they did show that in fact, the vitamin C, in addition to whatever other treatments they were getting, did help them clinically, did, did improve them. Uh, side effects of a tiny dose like that, really slim to none. So I think vitamin C is something that, that gets a cautious thumbs up. Um, there have been negative studies too, but I think overall, it, I think the evidence is tilting in its favor. Um, vitamin D is an interesting one. People have really dug into vitamin D a lot. Uh, its main role has nothing to do with immunity. It has to do with protecting your calcium balance vitamin D helps you absorb calcium from the foods you eat, but it is a cancer preventive to a degree. People who are vitamin D deficient are at somewhat risk, uh, some risk for higher cancer. And we're assuming that's because their immune system isn't so alert to cancer cells. Well, does this help us with something like a respiratory infection like COVID? With COVID, I don't think we have good evidence yet, but with other respiratory infections that preceded COVID, there was some evidence that when people would take vitamin D supplementation um, in a randomized trial compared to a placebo, they were at reduced risk for respiratory infections. So cautious um, benefit there, probably not huge, um, unless if you've got a really low vitamin D level, you've not been supplementing, you haven't been getting any sunlight for you, I'm gonna bet that, that a vitamin D supplementation will have a much greater effect. Uh, finally, maybe one other nutrient to just mention really quickly, and that's zinc. Um, zinc has been studied for all kinds of things. I'm cautious about it because it is a metal, um, like iron, like copper. And if there's one thing we learned a long time ago, you need a little bit of copper, you don't want a lot because it's linked to Alzheimer's. 
You need a little bit of iron, you don't want a lot. Same story. Uh, zinc is in that same category, but researchers uh, in Michigan looked at people, they gave them zinc, they compared them to a placebo, and they did show a reduced risk of respiratory infections with zinc. My own suggestion, I would not supplement with it. I would just go high plant-based diet and get the natural sources of zinc because if you do that, you will not overdose. All right. So it seems like some people, you get sick and they just stay sick for what seems like forever. Other people, they get sick and within a day or two, they're, they've got all the spring back in their step. Laura wants to know, can eating, health, uh, eating a healthy diet help you recover faster when you do get sick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the studies on COVID, um, and, and frankly, like the studies on vaccination, maybe maybe that's a good example. If you take a vaccinated person and you compare the, that person to an unvaccinated person, if COVID comes around, somebody is, they're on an elevator, people all around them are sneezing and the, the, the virus comes into them, they inhale it. They're both going to get the virus. Even if you've been vaccinated, that virus enters your body. The vaccine doesn't somehow stay at your you know, nasal opening and keep the virus out. It's coming into your body. What the vaccine does is it causes your body to be prepared for it so that your immune response wells up. Your white blood cells say, ah, I knew you were coming because I was vaccinated and I'm ready to knock you out. So it just knocks it out sooner before it multiplies. The unvaccinated person inhales the virus. Their immune system has never seen it before. So it's like trying to wake up and saying, what is this new thing? I don't know. It takes much longer for the immune system to, to raise a response. So your question is, if I'm eating in a, a healthier way, um, will that allow me to knock out the sickness that I've got that much faster? My analogy with the vaccination is that, let's say you've been following a healthy plant-based diet, rich in healthy micronutrients, very low in fat, your white blood cells are naturally healthier. And so they are better able to, to, to mount a good swift response and kick that virus out. So yes, your recovery is gonna be faster. And to tie a bow on this, what if you were vaccinated and you're following a healthy diet? It turns out that those people who are vaccinated and do well with it are, are the people who typically are not overweight, don't have hypertension, don't have high cholesterol levels, that you vaccinate them, you get a good robust immune response. The people who are vaccinated and are overweight have hypertension, have, have high cholesterol levels, mostly diet driven. You can vaccinate them and some of them do okay, but a lot of them just don't mount a very good vaccine response. Their immune system just can't protect them as well. So, so yes, the answer to your question is yes. If the virus comes in, it infects you, um, a healthy diet is likely to help you to recover more rapidly. This does not mean that you don't take care of yourself and don't get medical care. You still need that. Yeah, well, let's apply this uh, with something like a sinus infection. Okay, so not just talking COVID-19 here, but like a sinus infection. When I was still overweight, I had a routine. Go to the doctor's office when I'm sick and get the prescription, take that to the pharmacy. And while that prescription is being filled, then go to the drive-through and then swing back by to pick up the medication. So uh, if I'm going home and I'm eating that Big Mac and fries, that comfort food, because I'm not feeling all that great, you know, how much 
is that going to slow the recovery process from something like the sinus infection as opposed to what you were talking about, COVID-19? We see this a lot with dairy products. Dairy products are often associated with sinus infections and, and all the way down the respiratory tree from the sinuses to the lungs. Um, and so when people are consuming a lot of dairy products, some people have assumed that it's because they're making more lung secretions, perhaps, um, maybe so. But when, when these people um, get away from dairy products, they have far fewer sinus infections, uh, less asthma. Uh, sometimes the asthma goes away. And in their little baby who is five months old, those ear infections that keep recurring and recurring and recurring. And when you get away from the dairy-based formulas, the babies often do better. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's take a question from uh, Califani here at 1220. Uh, we were talking about inflammation. Califani's wondering whether there's a test specifically for inflammation. There are. There are a number of them. If you go to the doctor and you say, am I inflamed? Um, the doctors, <laughs> one of the things the doctor is going to look at is called um, C-reactive protein. Um, and there's a high, high sensitivity CRP that they'll order. And your doctor will draw that. And, and, and by the way, you don't have to be infected to have a high CRP level. A lot of people have it. And they will be impressed that when they clean up their diet, go to a healthy plant-based diet, their CRP levels often cascade downward, just like their cholesterol and their blood pressure and their blood sugar, all these things very often get better. There are more sophisticated tests that doctors can do for more specific conditions, but um, CRP is where they almost always start. Uh, let's see here. Housekeeping question. Switch a little bit. Take one from Kathy. This is a different one, but uh, Kathy wants to know what happens when you go a year without vitamin B12? Said, I went vegan about a year ago, haven't been taking it. What kind of nerve damage might I be facing? We're going to pause the show now. Drive to the health food store, get your B12, swallow one, come back, and let's resume. Um, you need B12. Um, B12 is something you need for healthy nerves and healthy blood, absolutely essential for everybody. If you don't have B12 in your system, you can't make, you, you just aren't going to have healthy blood or healthy nerves. Now, it's not made by animals. It's not made by plants. It's made by bacteria. And so some people would say that before the advent of modern hygiene, the bacteria that were in the soil or on the plants that we might pull from the soil or on our fingertips or in our mouths, they might make the tiny traces of B12. We need it. And, and maybe that's true, but, but that's definitely not true now in the modern hygienic world. Um, and so um, meat eaters get some B12 and the B12 came from bacteria in the animal's gut. Um, the, the, the cow doesn't make it, but the, 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 gut bacteria will make it. So it'll get into the meat, get into the milk. But even they can become deficient. Most of the people who are low in B12 in the hematology clinic are meat eaters. Um, why are they low? Because they're over 50 and they're not making enough stomach acid to pull the B12 off the meat protein. Or they're on an acid blocking drug. Or they're on metformin, which is the most commonly prescribed drug for type 2 diabetes. It, it interferes with B12 absorption. There are a lot of reasons for people running low. So in my view, everybody should take B12. Take the smallest one that you can get. Go to the store, get 100 micrograms, 200, maybe 500. If it's bigger than that, you take it every other day or you cut it in half. Um, but your question, I haven't had any for a year. 
is this going to hurt me? The answer is, yeah, it can. Uh, sometimes the first effects are nerve damage that can be irreversible. So don't fool around with it. Um, you can also get tested. Your doctor can test you. It's very easy to do for your B12 level and activity, but don't play around with it. Do get supplemented. That is true for babies, true for children, true for breastfeeding moms, uh, true for everybody. All right, let's take another one, uh, cleaning up some of these miscellaneous questions that are in the mailbag here. Uh, one from Peter. We've been talking about white blood cells, but Peter's wondering about red blood cells. Wants to know, are there any plant foods to increase red blood cells to help with running and oxygen? That one comes in at 1222. What a neat question. Um, this is sort of the the idea of how, where athletes would withdraw some of their own blood and inject it later before the athletic event and hoping that they, they didn't get uh, found out for uh, sort of biological doping. Um, I'm not aware of foods that you can take that will actually increase your, your red blood cells. However, your body cannot have normal red blood cell function, A, without B12, which you talked about, B, without iron. Now, you don't need iron from liver. That was the 1950s idea, or red meat. Um, the reason that cows have iron in their meat is because they were eating green vegetables, but they were eating grass. And if you eat green vegetables, not grass, but kale and broccoli and all the green vegetables, they are rich in a really good form of iron. It's called non-heme iron. And the reason I like it so much is that if you are low in iron, your body will absorb more. If you've got a lot of iron already, your body will absorb less. It's the kind that your homeostatic mechanisms can regulate. If on the other hand, you decided to have iron from liver or from maybe some old fashioned doctor or dietitian said, I'd have some red meat if I were you. The problem is that's all heme iron. You can't regulate your absorption of it. If you already have plenty of iron in your system, you'll still absorb it. And then it becomes toxic. It can become toxic to the brain and toxic to the heart. So get your iron from the same place the cow gets it. And that's from, from plants. Okay. Uh, interesting question. We've got time for just a couple of more. This one came in at 1215. Uh, we were talking about fat and the immune system and the connection there. Well, let's talk about a plant-based food that has some fat to it, that being nuts. Uh, this one coming in at 1215. I've heard that nuts boost the immune system. Is that true? If it is true, I do not know of any evidence that says so, with one exception, and that is that nuts happen to be a good source of vitamin E. And vitamin E does have, uh, it will protect your, your cells. Uh, vitamin E is an antioxidant and it keeps cells from being destroyed prematurely. So it will make your white blood cells last a little bit longer. And, and by the way, if you're looking for vitamin E, do not get it in a capsule. Don't go to the store and take out your wallet, your credit card, and pay a lot of dough for vitamin E supplements. The reason to not do that is that if you eat a couple of almonds or some walnuts, there are eight different natural forms of vitamin E, and you'll get all of them in food. Go to the store, they can call it vitamin E if it only has one or two. And that will do you more harm than good because if you overdo it on one form of vitamin E, it will suppress your absorption of all of the others. So if you get them from food, you get them in, in nature's balance. Um, don't go crazy with it. If you have a lot of nuts, you're gonna have more than you need of these things and you're getting fat along with it, which as we were saying earlier, is gonna suppress immunity. 
All right, miscellaneous question, 1222, a day in my life is their name. Wondering, should they eat organic beans or is it okay to eat beans that are not organic? Beans of any type are always better than the meat that they replace in your chili. So if you throw out the meat and you're having beans, organic, non-organic, fine. Uh, always dramatically better. But it, it, beans are not a food where when, it, when, when they are raised non-organically, they're not a particularly pesticide heavy food. That said, I think it's, if, if you can get organic, I would always get organic. But if you can't, go for the ones that you can't find. All right. And Gail gets the honors of having the final question for today at 1227. What foods are high in zinc? Um, when you're looking for zinc foods, um, I would go for the whole grains. When I say whole grain, that means um, take white rice. That's not a whole grain because the brown brand covering has been removed. So you get brown rice, you're going to do better. Um, and there are some things that you don't think of as a whole grain, like old-fashioned oats um, or whole grain breads or whatever. Um, but they are, they still have the brand in them. And if, if you get the whole grain together, you're going to get a really, really helpful uh, form of zinc. Don't forget to join us for the exam room live every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific over on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. That is your best opportunity to ask experts like Dr. Barnard your questions. You can also send them to me ahead of time. Find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll, WLC. In the episode notes, you will find a link to the show that we did on COVID-19 and vegan diets. And there is some very promising data that we discussed for those whose diet is fueled exclusively by plants. Today's episode of the Exam Room Podcast has been brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. They are on a mission to continue the love and passion that Greg Ryder had for animals. And today, that fund is used to support organizations that share that same passion that Greg had through animal rescue efforts and by promoting a vegan lifestyle and even wildlife conservation. Visit GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org to learn about Greg's story and about the animal issues currently facing us. And you can also subscribe to their newsletter while you're on the website. You can find a link to do just that right now in the episode notes. And lastly today, we need your help to make this world a healthier place. There's a lot of chaos out there. So let's take charge of something that we can control. And that is to make the world a healthier place and to help others along the way. So let's get this potentially life-saving information to those who do need it the most. Those who are trapped in this unhealthy cycle of fast food and high-fat meals with no real fruits or vegetables to help fuel their body. And the sad part is that for so many, that is the norm. That's all they know. So let's help to show them that things can in fact be different. There is a healthier way. And one of the easiest ways you can help right now is by subscribing to the exam room podcast by the physicians committee on Apple podcast or Spotify, wherever shows are available. 
And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. Because each one of those five-star reviews and new subscriptions genuinely does help to get this information to those who need it the most. And I want to thank you for your help in advance. And for today, that's going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for joining us and revving up our immune systems. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.